Most of you have probably heard of a gentleman by the name of Dwight L. Moody. And Dwight L. Moody was a great revivalist preacher back in the mid to late 1800s, 19th century. But what some of you may not know about Dwight L. Moody was he was actually a backwoods country boy who didn't speak English very well. And in fact, when a lot of people heard him preach, they thought God is never going to use that guy. He doesn't speak well. He's not polished. But if you're a, a, a student of, of church history, um, God used him in phenomenal ways. Well, he was traveling over to uh, England at one point, and he was invited to come speak at Cambridge University. And because it was known that he was not eloquent with his speech, several students decided we're going to go and we're going to sit in the front row and we're going to heckle him. And we're going we're gonna to throw him off and we're going to ruin his sermon to us. And so they showed up. And the story is told by one of those young boys who later in life as an older man telling the story said, we marched in, we sat in the front rows, and Dwight L. Moody stepped out and he looked directly at us and said these words, young gentlemen... Don't ever think God don't love you, for he do. Don't ever think that God don't love you, for he do. And the, and the gentleman who told that story said something happened in him and his peers when he said those words. And by the power of the Spirit, they were silenced and said nothing his whole sermon and in fact several of them ended up being converted as a result of it that's the power of the gospel that's the core message of what you and i believe is that god is a god of love and he loves you he do now you take that love and because of that love that he has for us, and because he initiates it, we have this ability then to have faith. And because of the faith that we have, we then end up, if we, if we know the love of God, and if we have a deep abiding faith in Christ, you end up having, what's the third one, the trifecta? Hope. And in the passage this morning that we're going to look at, we're going to deal with the love of God. We're going to deal with the faith in Christ that we have to have. And then we're going to deal with the hope as that all is leading us into John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer. But before we do that, let me pray. Father, we ask that you would take uh, words from my mouth and yet you would use them for your sake and your glory and your honor. Father and Holy Spirit, would you come would you convict us of any sin that is within us? Would you encourage us where we need it? And would you take the, the balm of your gospel and apply it to our, our weary and broken hearts? Father, continue, even this morning as we are here today, would you continue to make us new and to grow us up in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? In his name we pray, amen. So we're going to start with uh, just one verse out of John 17, 
And as I was preparing for John 17, I couldn't get past this one, this, these just few words. And because I couldn't get past them, we added this, this extra sermon into it. And John 17 just simply begins with this. When Jesus had spoken these words, the text then tells us he lifted up his eyes to heaven and then he began to pray his high priestly prayer. But those words, when Jesus had spoken these words, if you're a student of scripture, you should immediately do what? Well, what are these words? And you go back further into the text and you start to look. This is putting the, what his, his high priestly prayer into context. And we could keep going back many, many pages, but we're just going to look at the last little part. And that starts at verse 25 through the end of the chapter. And so if you would, please follow along. John 16, verses 25 through 33. Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Did you catch that? I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul Uh, ends his famous chapter, the love chapter, with these words uh, in in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so there are three things in this passage that I want to bring out this morning that I think we see in this text, and you you could probably come up with more. I just want to walk through three different guarantees that we see in this text that Jesus himself is saying to his people, if you believe me and you trust in me and you follow me, you can take these three guarantees to the bank. They are not like a check that you would write when you're younger. Is it going to cash or is it not going to cash? And let's play beat the bank. These three guarantees that he offers to us in this little passage that we read, they are solid. And the first one is simply, 
Guarantee number one, God's love because of Christ is enough. God's love because of Christ, because of what he did, God's love is enough. And you see in this passage where, the, where Jesus says to his disciples in verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. And I imagine when he said that, the disciples were thinking, duh, you think so? Jesus, how many stories have you told us that we didn't get? Uh, the, the same word used for figure of speech is also parables. And if you remember when we did that long study in the, in the parables, the first one we looked at when Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said to his disciples, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to these people in parables? And Jesus answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And so when Jesus said, I have said things to you in the past in figures of speech, the disciples get it. And you and I get it. And at times we read the scriptures and we say, God, why are you not speaking to me at this moment? And the fault is not in his word. It's in the receiver. And so in this passage, he's saying to them, I used to speak to you in figures of speech, in parables, in ways you didn't get. But there's coming a time soon where I'm not going to do that anymore. And everything I say to you, if you're one of mine, you will understand. And you see earlier in this same chapter, in verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. They're not going to make any sense to you yet. And then in verse 13, he gives us this clue. And because of God, because of Christ, God's love is enough. And we see this in verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Why, why did they not understand why did Jesus speak to his disciples and to others outside the kingdom? And why was it so confusing even to his own children? And the answer is simply, his spirit hadn't been given yet. His spirit hadn't been left to enlighten their minds. And so it was hard for them to understand the very word of God itself because they didn't have that spirit or that, that spirit, the great interpreter in their soul, opening up their eyes and their minds and their heart and helping them to understand. One person put it this way, the complete fulfillment was given in the coming of the spirit to guide them into all the truth. Then the veil was completely taken off their hearts and with an open face they contemplated the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what, after Jesus had died and resurrected, 
and he was walking on the road to Emmaus, and he was with two of his disciples, and they didn't recognize him. And as they were speaking, they later testified, did not our hearts burn as he was speaking to us? Were not our eyes becoming more opened as we listened to him speak about the prophets and all the way through? It's because of God's love and the finished work of Christ. Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to die. He had to be resurrected. He had to go ascend to be with the Father in order that his Holy Spirit would come. And so it's because of the finished work of Christ that the Spirit comes, and it's the Spirit who opens up our eyes. And in this passage, we, when he says there's coming a time when I will not have to speak this way to you anymore, it's because of the Spirit In verse 26, we see this, and it's a confusing verse in verse 27, but 26 and 27, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. It's confusing in the sense that Jesus is telling them, you're going to ask me for a request, and I'm not telling you. I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to go to the Father on your behalf. And if you were a disciple at that point, you would have become nervous. What are you talking about? Well, in that day and in, in time, there was a heresy that was out there and a false teaching that suggested that God was a God who was solely a God of anger and wrath and that Jesus as the mediator had to go to God and that Jesus had to change the Father's nature in order for, for us to come to the Father. And if you hear that, there's some truth in that, but it's not all true. It's heresy. And so when Jesus says here, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, what Jesus is saying in this just screaming loud voice, I'm going to go be with the Father, and because of my finished work, because of what I'm going to accomplish for you, you won't need me to have direct access to the Father anymore. I'm still the mediator, but you can go to the Father as well. Does that make sense? When you had children and they were young and you would go in and you would say to them, let's say your prayers, and inevitably at some point your little child would say what? You pray for me. You pray for me. And as a parent, you do that for a while. But the whole goal is to teach them what? I don't need to pray for you because you have direct access to the Father himself. We're told in the book of Hebrews, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, it's the finished work of Jesus, Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, uh, let us, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of God's love, 
giving us his son and his son's willing obedience. Because of that, we have confidence to enter the holy of holies. You can go to the Father. You can walk into his presence and talk to him as your loving father. What what does verse 27 say? For the father himself loves you. The father's not just appeasing you. He's not just, I can't stand you, but because my son did this for you, the text tells because the father loves you. Another way of putting that um, is simply, and I don't see it. Oh, oh, here it is. No, it isn't. It's gone. It didn't get transferred over from my sermon notes page onto my actual preaching page. That's okay. First, in First John, we're told this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And all that is saying is that you're not the one who initiated that love relationship with the Father. The Father loves you not because of what Jesus did. Jesus did what what he did for us because of the Father's love. So guarantee number one, God's love because of Christ is enough. He simply loves you. And as Dwight L. Moody would say, he really do. He really do. The second guarantee in this passage is this. Our faith in Christ is enough. Our faith in Christ is enough. And if you take out that middle qualifier, the text, that the sentence isn't true. And you can't put the onus on our faith. It's our faith in Christ and what he did is enough. Verse 28 tells us, Jesus said to them, I came from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. Again, can you imagine what Jesus was thinking as they said, Oh, so now nobody needs to question me. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe The reality is that each one of us, and even our non-Christian friends, we all demonstrate a a measure or a modicum of faith on a daily basis. When we drink something, some form of liquid, we have faith that what we're drinking is not going to make us sick. When you go into a restaurant, you have faith that somebody in the back hasn't tampered with that drink or with that food. Every time you step into a car, you're demonstrating some sort of faith in that vehicle and you're demonstrating faith in what and in whom the drivers around you. You step on an airplane, you are demonstrating a modicum of faith. We all demonstrate it on a daily basis. And if you take it to a higher level, we we demonstrate faith in loving relationships I trust you. 
I'm giving you my whole heart. I trust that you're not going to abuse it and hurt it. We demonstrate faith in relationships. We demonstrate faith in our careers. We demonstrate faith in our own abilities. This is not what this passage is talking about. The faith that Jesus is summarizing for them is simply this. I came from the Father into the world, and now I'm going back to the Father. That's that's a core message of the gospel. That's a great little summary. Jesus came from God, fill in a few little blanks, and then he went back to the Father. Faith matters. And because of Christ, our faith is enough. When our faith is in the gospel, we see here... um, In verse uh, 28, now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And when we we hear those words and we read that, we recognize what's that gospel message? What did he do in order to satisfy the Father's wrath, to appease him, as we just mentioned a few minutes ago? But he did something in order to go back to the Father. In other words, Jesus accomplished exactly what the Father sent him to do. Jesus accomplished what his son sent him to do. And we see a summary of that in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul is saying that as Jesus was in heaven, as he sat on the right uh, on the throne of the right hand throne of God, as he sat there, he enjoyed an equality with the Father that he didn't grasp onto and hold onto. He didn't cling as a deity, as the divine Son. He didn't cling to that. We're told that he gave it up. Verse 7, but he emptied himself, taking, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What's Paul saying? He came, he accomplished what that which he was called to do, and then he went back. And when our When our faith rests in that gospel message, it's enough. You see in the book of 2 John in verse 7, we're told, and we see that in culture today, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And so my simple question is this, um, where is your faith? 
What do you place your faith in on a daily basis? Is your faith, and this is the American gospel, to be rooted in my ability to make myself better, my ability to try harder, my ability to be more disciplined, my ability and my habit and routine of having devotions on a daily basis. And Jesus is reminding his disciples here the core message of the gospel is Jesus came from God, the Father. He accomplished that which he was supposed to, and then he went back. Another way of saying that is the gospel message is not about us. It's not about what we can do or what we've done. The gospel message is rooted in the person of Jesus and his finished work. What's interesting here is the disciples are starting to get it in a little different way. They're starting to understand the core message of the gospel in a deeper way. It was where John Calvin says this about them. The disciples did not fully understand the meaning of Christ's discourse at that moment. They said they did. We believe. We have faith in you. And Calvin is suggesting the disciples did not fully understand the meaning of Christ's teaching, but though they were not even able and capable of understanding it, the mere odor of his words refreshed their souls. Does, does that make sense? They didn't get it completely, but just the odor of what Jesus was saying refreshed their souls. It's kind of like when you hear a joke and there's a group of people and at first you're standing there and you're kind of laughing and you're only laughing, why? Because everybody else is laughing, but inwardly you're thinking, I don't get it. Why was that so funny? What, what, what did I miss? And so you may, you may ask them, could you, could you say that again? And, oh, okay, I think I get it. It's what the disciples are going through. And Jesus is so gently um, confronting them. I, yes, you have faith. But something is about to happen. And he says here in verse 31, do you, do you now believe? That, that's, that's great news. That's good news. But verse 32 Behold, the hour is coming indeed, it's already come, when you will be scattered each to his own home, and you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus, in a, in a, in a backhanded way, is saying to them, your faith, because of Christ, it's enough. It's enough to get you in, but don't you dare rest on your laurels and say, I get it, I understand it, I'm... I, I believe. And why does Jesus say that? Why does he say, and why is he almost testing them? Do, do you really believe? Because of the next point of this chapter, or the next point of this, this passage, he's telling them, as, as difficult as it has seemed up to this point, it's not going to get any better. In fact, 
if you're going to stay with me, and if you're going to continue to identify yourself as a follower of Christ, it's going to get harder. But we see here that God's love, because of Christ, it's enough. And then our faith, because of Christ, it is enough. And then we see here in this third guarantee, our hope in Christ is enough. They have affirmed belief in faith in Christ. But Jesus is saying to them, as great as that is, something's coming. And if you are a follower of me, you cannot escape it. Verse 31, he said, or verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a guarantee. You can take that to the bank. Because of what Adam and Eve did in the, in the fall, because they were our representative, because we still live in this fallen world, even though Jesus is pushing back against the curse, we still live in this fallen world. And because of that, in this world, you will have trouble. That's, that's a guarantee, but there's a greater guarantee that goes right along with that. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If you're a follower of Christ, there's a great chance at some point you thought or you have articulated the words, Jesus, I'm confused. I am attempting to follow you faithfully as best I can. And the more I do it, the more difficult my life gets. Why? And we have to be reminded here of the gospel because their understanding of who Jesus is, although that is enough, there is a deeper and a a little different understanding of the gospel that when we walk through the troubles of this world, that even then we're able to say, Jesus, you're still enough. And my hope is in you. In the book of... um, Romans chapter 8. So before I do that, how many of you have heard this phrase? Life is hard and then you die. Isn't that a sad reality that so many people live with? And the vast amount of people that I would hang out with in the bars would have some sort of philosophy like that. Life's hard, so make the most of it, and then you die and it's over with. But I think we're fooling ourselves if those of us who don't spend all of our time in the bars drowning our sorrows with a bottle, we still struggle with that. Life is hard and then you die because of the reality of sin in this world. Uh, I I had a a close relative who used to say this to me all the time when I would ask him, how are you feeling? How are you doing today? And his response was always the same. Well, I'm still breathing. That sure beats the alternative, doesn't it? And, And I get what he was saying. If we're still breathing, that means we're still walking around and life is a gift. And so on, on some level, I get what he's saying. It's better than the alternative. But if we really understand the gospel, what he was saying is not true. The alternative is better. 
because of this hope that we have in Christ, because of the finished work, we have a confident hope that he's changing me now. And that even though I'm in the midst of something that I don't want, I trust that God is sovereign and my hope is that he is still able to fill my heart with peace. He says it in this passage, in me you may have peace. Do you catch the word that he says it? You may have, it's yours for the taking. Our hope in Christ is enough. We're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, verses through 39. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because of his finished work. That's not, it's not like a parable to anymore. If we're in Christ and we have his spirit living in us, we understand exactly what he was saying. And because of that, we can wake up every morning with hopefulness. Hopefulness with things to come and hopefulness for in this life as well. In Christ, he conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the enemy. Jesus was forsaken. He went to the cross to be forsaken by the Father so that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus was abandoned into the grave so that you and I would not have to be abandoned. Jesus was punished so that you and I would be set free. Jesus was glorified. And he sits on the right hand of the throne of God right now. He was glorified so that you and I too will experience that. What did Jesus say to his disciples right before he left? I'm going home to prepare a place for you. And because of that, because if we have faith in Christ, it gives us hope. Paul said we are more than conquerors. And Jesus says, I have, I have overcome the world. You know, what's interesting to me is shortly after Jesus says these words, he's crucified, he's buried, he's resurrected, he ascended. And then in church history, what takes place next? The book of Acts the scattering of his people. And the, the Tuesday morning men's Bible study just spent six or seven months going through all 28 chapters of learning what it means to live life on mission. And, you see, and if you read that book, you hear these stories uh, of Philip and Ananias and Peter and Barnabas and Paul and Timothy who all experienced great persecution in this world, you will have trouble. They experienced great persecution, and because of the faith that they had in Christ, and the emphasis, not their faith, but because of Christ and his spirit living in them, they pressed forward. You know, that the, the names I just rattled off um, all experienced great persecution, but Ananias experienced it on a little different level. 
Ananias was called to go to this guy who used to kill Christians for fun. And I'm sure he questioned those instructions. You want me to do what? And so this whole sense of I have overcome, take heart, is not just that we're called to go into hostile territories, but we're also called to go where he's called us to, even to go minister to people like the Apostle Paul. And then you have this great saint, Barnabas, who did what? He was just an encourager. And Barnabas rested in the gospel because he believed that God had called the apostle Paul. He had called Saul to be this apostle. And it was because of Barnabas' encouragement that the rest of the brothers brought him into the faith, into the community of God. Take heart. I have overcome. And because of those words, because of the finished work of Jesus, we can approach the throne confidently. What do we do with this? All of us sitting here this morning are are facing different storms. For some of us, it's just a little trickle of water. That's, That's a little bit of a nuisance, but not much. Our little nuisance right now is our daughter went on vacation and just before they left, their, their dog, who's 15 years old, jumped off something and popped his, his hip out of place. And so he's wandering around on three legs with his legs stuck out. And the doctor, the vet has said, there's nothing we can do for him. He's 15. We could fix it, but it's going to cost thousands of dollars. And so my son-in-law and daughter heard, there's nothing we can do for him. And because of that, he's living at our house because they're at the beach. And it's a nuisance, but it really isn't. And so some of us are experiencing just little nuisances, but then others of us, it feels like the storm is, is thundering and there's lightning and the rain is not letting up. And we're reminded in this passage, as we enter into the great high priestly prayer where Jesus prayed for us. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So what do we do to that? We run to the Father. Jesus is telling them, I don't have to do this for you necessarily. You have direct access. Run, run to the Father. And as you run to the Father, drink deeply into his word. And as you drink deeply into his word rest in his grace and bathe in his love. Let me pray. Father, we're grateful for your mercy. Lord, would you help us like the disciples to understand in a deeper way that you really do love us? Would you help our faith to grow? Lord, so many of us, including myself, are like little children in our faith, and we know that's enough, but Lord, we want to experience more of you. And so would you help us to grow in our, in our trusting of you, our good, good Father? Father, would you help us to replace the ill of this world with the hope that we have in you? Lord, give us your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.